Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy, even in infertility. Woo, it is good to be back, y'all. The flu is no joke. So thank you for being patient with me. If you didn't see it on Instagram, the flu took over me and my two kids, and I just could not function. We had it for about 10 days. It was terrible, but we are healthy again. And today I'll make up the missed episode to you because this one is so good and it is packed with content. Rebecca Hanna is a writer, teacher, and our first ever biblical counselor. Not only is she an amazing counselor, but y'all, she's walked through more than one miscarriage herself. And she has so much good insight about grieving and suffering. And guys, I want to tell you, we fought for this conversation. Our connection wasn't working in the beginning. And then even during our conversation, we were disconnected three different times. But I'm so grateful we were able to make it work because I really believe there's going to be healing or at least the beginning of healing that takes place from this conversation for so many of you. It doesn't make sense to like suffering, uh, but it makes sense to know that suffering is a part of uh, this world and being a Christian and how we suffer is what matters. Y'all get ready. We cover so much in this episode and I can't wait to hear the stories of healing that come from this conversation with Becca. But before we jump into that, a few weeks ago, I asked if anyone would be interested in starting a podcast club with some of their friends if I put some questions and content together from each episode. And the response was much bigger than I expected. So I can't think of a better episode to start that than this one. So I'm going to share some more details at the end of today's episode. But for now, let's jump into my conversation with Becca. Here we go. Okay. We're back. Thanks for coming on, Rebecca. I'm really happy to be here. This is good. Yes, we are just praying that the demons of technology would go away. (laughs) Go away. No bugs. So tell us about you and your family. Well, I am married to a lovely man named Andrew. And we have three little girls. We have an eight-year-old, a five. uh, She would want me to say five and a half for sure. Yes, be clear. Mm -hmm. Yes, five and a half-year-old. And a three-year-old, all girls, uh, Maggie, Claire, Charlie Brave, and Ellis Jane. Oh, I love those names. Yes, they are all very different from each other and all very, very wonderful. Um, We have moved around a lot as a family and done a lot of different things and lived in a lot of different places. And, uh, but that's us. We, um, there's a lot of emotions in our family. (laughs) There can imagine and a lot of glitter. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, so it's good. And so what do you do? I am a biblical counselor. Um, I've done a lot of different things. Actually, I have taught at different, uh, taught at different ministries for different ministries and I've written a lot right now. I'm an editor for a website called gospeltaboo.com. And so I've written a lot there. I speak at different women's conferences. Uh, and I recently became a house flipper, so I'm renovating a house. Oh, yes. Well, look at you. And you're in like the Texas Mecca of house flippers. So how fun is that? (laughs) Not on purpose. Everyone tries to make that connection. There's no connection there. (laughs) I'm not trying to be on TV. Uh, (laughs) I just have had fun with a sledgehammer. So (laughs) in tiling. I get like, yeah, to be so 
intellectual for so many years and then to just like get a sledgehammer I could imagine that would just be a different pace for you it has been very different and very refreshing um but that's awesome. it's been so cool to see this I this idea of refurbishing and bringing something back to life that was seemingly dead so it's been really oh, fun so do. you just have tons of content to write <laughs> all day long you're just like oh yes making a note this is going to be a great article lord let it be one day yes it hasn't downloaded <laughs> quite like that yet but i'm hoping it will. yes uh-huh. it's like people who garden they have such great spiritual analogies yeah. and i don't garden so i don't get them but yeah, i'm not <laughs> patient enough something. for gardening so <laughs> i like quick results mm-hmm. yes so sledgehammer it is yeah. there you go yep well, you're our first biblical counselor, so we have high hopes for you today <laughs> that you are going to make us all feel good and love Jesus more. I, well, we can try. Sure. <laughs> so you have three gorgeous little girls with the best names, um, but your journey to them has been pretty intense. So walk us through what that's been like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this Um I didn't hear a lot about miscarriages until um, later in life. I mean, I didn't know anyone that had miscarriages. Um, well, I, I knew them. I just didn't know that was a part of their story. It wasn't something that mm-hmm. you talked about until I was in seminary and uh, obviously joined a church and became a, a part of a community And when we're having miscarriages. And it just seemed so abnormal to me, but it wasn't abnormal. Just I'd never heard of that. So fast forward, I get married and I wasn't, um, I've never been a big (laughs) like baby person. I'm not a babysitter. You know, I I didn't grow up like that. Um, so children weren't necessarily the first thing on my mind, but you know, you're, when you're young and you're married and you're in seminary and everyone around you is having babies, it was just interesting to watch people um, go through the process of, um, getting pregnant or not being able to get pregnant or having miscarriage. So our first uh, pregnancy was fairly normal. Uh, It was a bit of a surprise, Um, but we had been married for two years and we were excited and ready. And uh, it was uneventful besides the fact that we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, It was uneventful. (laughs) And at that time we were ministering, uh, we were actually living in uh, as dorm parents. So we took uh, our first child home to a dorm room, kind of. A, a, oh my very, goodness. I didn't know they'd let you well, do that. It it's kind of like an apartment in the dorm. Um, okay. My goodness. Yes. So she lived in the closet, but a big closet. It was great. Uh, and she was she safe. Was it's safe. totally It fun. was ventilated. It was good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was a, an easier experience. Um, and then, uh, we had a couple of years in between there and, uh, I got pregnant again, um, and all the joy that comes with that. And the second time, um, was a very short pregnancy and I miscarried actually, uh, the Thanksgiving week, um, of that year. And it was maybe about six weeks. Um, and we were actually going, we were flying to Texas for Thanksgiving and I began to miscarry on the airplane or on the way, like at the airport. So that was, that was disconcerting for a lot of obvious reasons, but also, 
I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. I had not told our family that I was pregnant yet. So when we got here, it was this, oh, we were pregnant, but I literally miscarried on the way here. Um, yeah. Um, the miscarriage wow. itself was uh, not super traumatic as some of them can be because it was earlier on and um, I was, mm-hmm. it, it, the Lord was kind to me in that, in that scenario because uh, it could have been. Yes. Physically, not traumatic. Yes, thank you. Um, And it, you know, you think about the stories that could happen on airplanes. It, you know, it was good. Um, So from that point, um, you know, I didn't handle it very well. I, uh, you know, I remember I was speaking at a Christmas event and the lady asked, do I still want to do it? I was like, sure. And she said, I really think you should share what you just went through. And I did. And I just remember standing in front of all those women thinking, I have no idea what to say to you. And I have no idea how to process this. And I have no idea uh, how you will take whatever I have to say. So it was one of the most, it was, I think it was the most awkward speaking engagement I've ever had. I was not, I was not ready to do, uh, to, to speak to them the way that I needed to be ready. Anyway, so I, a couple of months went by, we got pregnant again. Um, this, what this pregnancy lasted a bit longer. Um, I'd gone to the doctor immediately, obviously. And, um, I remember feeling the pregnancy symptoms that come along and being really grateful for them. Um, and I was, uh, sitting by the fire grading papers and I remember thinking something doesn't feel right. And so that second miscarriage, you know, the, the first one, I didn't totally know how to handle. The second one was fast enough after that one um, that I really felt like I needed to get a grip on how to process this. Um, and the mm-hmm. resources that were available at that point, uh, they weren't great. In fact, I remember reading this blog about um, a, a, a woman who had a miscarriage, and I remember thinking, that's terrible advice. It's bad theology. None of what you're saying here to comfort yourself is actually true. And so I began to... Uh, I mean, I made it a point to theologically process what what had was happening, um, so that it would uh, so that I'd be comforted in the way that I needed to be comforted. Um, it didn't seem like the people mm-hmm. around me knew what to say or could say whatever they meant with good intentions. Well, you know, um, and so I just made a point to figure out how I needed to process before the Lord and how to help other people who were struggling. Um, through this process of suffering and grieving um, the loss of their children. So uh, we did obviously end up um, having two healthy pregnancies after those two miscarriages. Um, And that's the, that's the short version, I guess, if you will, of our story. And they were, they were natural, like natural conceptions. Yes, they all were. They all were. Okay. Um, And, you know, I think one of the interesting things about walking through that is I've had so many friends with just wildly different experiences. So as I was going through that, I remember a a dear, dear friend who uh, was doing in vitro at the same time and one who could not get pregnant at all. And there was just this vast array of experiences that were happening around me. uh, And we all had to figure out how to walk together um, through those things. Mm -hmm. So So what was, were there, did their pregnancies go full term? No. Um, that particular friend who is very dear and has adopted 
several kids since then, um, she was never able to conceive. Um, and she uh, is not, you're going to forgive me, I don't always know the terminology here, but she uh, was not necessarily infertile. The in vitro just would not uh, take the way that it needed to or implant mm-hmm. themselves. So, so you guys had, you were you walked through that grief process together yes, we then. we're all in there at the same age, uh, in the same season uh, together. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you think that was helpful? I do because, and even there's another friend um, in that same group of us who uh, ended up adopting an embryo and has had several successful uh, pregnancies that way. But I do think that was helpful just because you so often in the midst of grief and suffering think that you're the only one. And you think that even if you know that you're not the only one, you think you should be processing in a very particular way and to watch for women who love Jesus all very deeply, process all very differently um, was Mm. really helpful because uh, there's not, there are wrong ways to grieve for sure, but there's not one right way to grieve necessarily uh, as long as we're doing it. Um, in glorifying the Lord at the same time, which can look a lot of different ways. And, and that's really what walking with them I've seen is all of them successfully love Jesus, glorify the Lord in the midst of their own grief and their own story, uh, and all do that in very different ways, which is beautiful. Can you tell, can you dig deeper a little bit and what are, cause everybody listening is they all grieve different ways. I mean, I have two friends that have had miscarriages and they all experience their, you know, some of them get over it quickly. Some of them takes years. Um, what are some of those examples of what you're talking about? Of there, The markers are glorify God through it. There's no wrong way or there's, what do you say? There's no wrong way, but there's, there's no right way, but there's definitely wrong ways. So kind of dig, dig deeper about and, and explain that. Yeah, I tend to, um, I think we so often compare each other uh, one to another. So if you're doing yeah. it that way, why are you doing it that way? Did it work for you? Um, and I would rather just look at Jesus and how did Jesus grieve and um, what did it look like for because Jesus had a lot of grief, a lot of things to grieve over, and he grieved with perfect faith in God. And so he's our perfect mm-hmm. example. Not that we're expecting perfection in the midst of our grief, but what I figured out is that he really laid out a template for me. Uh, and so to see that when Jesus needed to grieve, he went to be alone and he prayed. So what does it look like for me to get time alone and to pray? Um, do I, depending on my personality, do I, do I want to be around more people? Do I want to ask for more help? Um, do I need people to gather around me and, and pray or do I need to be alone and pray? And we're all going to, Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen people who just want to be alone and want to spend that time alone, and then they can come out of their prayer closet and feel refreshed and uh, comforted. And then some people who say, "No, I want my friends to be here with me and pray this out with me." Um, and and those I've seen people mm-hmm. do that in very different ways. I think trusting God, um, and not in a platitude sense, but uh, knowing that. My trust in God doesn't change depending on my circumstances, uh, but that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so my circumstances, I have to hold that up to 
God being the same, not pull down God to my circumstances. If that makes sense. Um, I think Mm -hmm. seeing that template of Jesus's trust in the father was based on his character and his promises. And it didn't change, even though he was looking at the cross. And uh, so how do I, how does my process, my thought process and, um, you know, how I'm thinking about miscarriage or infertility, how does, how's, I mean, how does, how I'm thinking about these particular things uh, need to be matched with God's character and his promises. Um, mm-hmm. And also it, it has to be noted too, that Jesus's trust in the father was relational and honest. So Jesus asked the father to remove right. the cup from him um, because he, yeah. it wouldn't make mm-hmm. sense for him to want that cup. <laughs> So in the same way, it, it would not right. make sense for you to be okay with infertility. It doesn't make sense for you to be okay with miscarriage, but it does make sense for you to say, okay, if this is the lot the Lord has given me at this time, then I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to love him in the midst of it. Um, it doesn't make sense to That's like good. suffering, uh, but it makes sense to know that suffering is a part of uh, this world and being a Christian and how we suffer is what matters. Uh, and there's, there's a value. God mm-hmm. takes our suffering. He takes our miscarriages. He takes our infertility and he makes something valuable out of it. Uh, and, and that's where that we, we bring our circumstances up to his character, if you will. Well, on that note, you've obviously experienced a lot of suffering um, in the past with those miscarriages. How did you process those? Like you said, you held them against God's character. So did, was there ever a point that it made you bitter or angry so where did those trials kind of yeah. take you? Um, I've had suffering that did make me bitter and angry. <laughs> um, I would say with miscarriages in particular, my the greatest thing that I had to deal with was fear. Uh, I uh, fear in um, what how my what my body was going to do. Fear in how my body was going to react. Fear in um, protecting. You know, it's interesting. I think when you when you ha- have one healthy child, uh, and or you have a child at all, and then you have a miscarriage, you in a sense feel the depths of what you're missing in a tangible way. And so, mm-hmm. I think uh, those having to come to grips with the fear of not not being able to you know, hold those children. And then I think too of, um, my greatest, my greatest struggle was probably the next healthy pregnancy I had of fear during that pregnancy was probably my greatest hiccup, um, or suffering point is a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, so dealing with fear and we were living, uh, in New York city at the time and, it's actually right when ISIS became a thing and was big and, or we, uh, we were learning about ISIS anyway. And so we were living in the city and on the subway every day on high alert and I was pregnant and, uh, I, I knew that I could not, I had already learned the lesson that I couldn't protect the child in my womb, which is the one thing you want to be able to do. So feeling helpless mm-hmm. and fearful of what could possibly happen, um, is definitely something I had to work through. And you've, you, you mentioned that, you know, God didn't save you out of that trial, but yes. he saved you in it. So what did you, what did you mean by that? I 
I mean, I think we so often want to feel good uh, that, and we can rush to feeling good instead of sitting in the midst of whatever emotion is bad and bringing that before the Lord. Uh, and so for me, I was, I was, I was forced to walk through the process of a tangible trust in the Lord amidst my fear to get me to the other side of it. It, it was mm-hmm. not a quick fix. Um, I mean, he didn't give you a word that said, you're going to have no, this there baby. There was no <laughs> word or yeah, there was nothing written on the wall for me. I, I really didn't expect to make it through that pregnancy. Um, and I think being a counselor and watching a whole lot of people around me suffer through pregnancy, I, I was more surprised about having a healthy pregnancy than not. And, uh, that didn't mm-hmm. go away the further along in my pregnancy I got. And so that nine months of the daily grind of, okay, here's my fear. Here's, here's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking X, Y, Z. And here's what's logical about that. Here's what's illogical about that. Here's what's true about that. And here's what the Lord has to say about that. And doing that every single day, um, was a, was the process of being sanctified and the process of I'm okay either way this goes. Um, I can be comforted Mm -hmm. through my grief and I can be comforted uh, through life. And so um, the sanctification, the process of being made like Jesus, it's, we're on fire when we're in, when we're suffering. So really suffering is in some ways a, a quicker way to Christ likeness if we let it work than mm-hmm. yeah yeah if we let uh, it if we let it marinate um if we marinate in it it can you know it's this it's a sweeter taste at the end and um mm-hmm. that's so th- being saved we want to be saved out of it but to be saved through it is what changes us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard my mom pray one time that she didn't that to to not let her get through the trial before all the work was complete. That she didn't. It, her question wasn't when can I get out of this. It's what can I get out of this. What do you want me to learn and grow and refine from? Which me? is a terrifying thing to pray. Right. Like, how long is this going to take? What if it takes years and years and years and years, or if it's never complete? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and that's that's one of those statements that we bring up to the character of God because one day it will be complete. Right. So. You know, we we're like, when is this ever going to end? Well, my hopes in heaven. I yep, mean, when eternity that has, ends. <laughs> that's absolutely, it has to be a reality for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a daily thing to bring it up, bring it up to the character of God, bring it up to the character of God. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's been a theme. I feel like the last probably four or five interviews that I've done for this, this year, 2020 has been eternity, eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, our life is but a blip on the radar and I, Yes, it's 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 heavy and it's and it's hard. This life is whenever you're facing this, but our hope is in is in spending eternity with our Creator. And I, one of the things too about grief, I think that we try to make it simplistic, and it's just not. It's complex, and every person's different. Um, but the truth that we're taught—that's what makes God's Word and Jesus so good, because He's the one that doesn't change. So as complex as you and I might be with our different mm-hmm. experiences and our different losses and suffering. Uh, the truth of Jesus doesn't change. I love right. that. 
Mm-hmm. You said you told me that your miscarriage has helped you grow in your understanding of the sanctity of life. So what did you mean by that? How has it helped? You know, I think developing a more robust theology of sin and the fall for one, because um, miscarriage and bodies not working the way that they should is a result of the fall. And Mm so I began to see sin in a different way in some ways because it's sin that causes, that causes this grief. It's sin that caused the fall. Um, and so sin is, sin is my miscarriage in some ways is the direct result, not of my personal sin, but of, of the fall. And so it, it made me hate sin more. It mm-hmm. made me hate the destruction of the world more. But on the flip side of that, um, God as the creator of life and the sustainer of life became all that more miraculous to me. And so my first pregnancy that was healthy and stable and normal for the most part, uh, I took that for granted the first time. And then after the miscarriages, I knew that that wasn't something to take for granted, but something that was a miracle that I didn't even, couldn't even uh, be all that thankful for until I came to grips with the reality of death that can also happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I really have tried to understand is particularly when women are upset that other people get pregnant and our losses should really magnify the glory of God and pregnancy for other people. And so I should, I should rejoice when someone else gets pregnant because that's the sustaining of life that God is uh, the miracle worker of. And, mm-hmm. and she's upholding life. It doesn't matter if it's in my womb or your womb or her womb. It's life that God is sustaining. And that's something worth worshiping over uh, yeah. towards God. Mm-hmm. I think for them in that moment, it's more of not, wow, that's God sustained that life. It's why is he not sustaining it for me? So, so yeah, therefore is- makes me angry, bitter, jealous, all of the emotions that we, we deal with with that. Yeah. Right. And that's the other, that's the flip side of the coin, right? That's the theology of sin. And that's Mm -hmm. our our sin that comes out that is actually highlighting uh, the fall. And so really for me, it was a, it was a turn of, um, I think it made me appreciate the sanctity of life in a, in a new way because Mm -hmm. um, we're so not in control of it. Um, right. But and it's the same way whenever you're trying to conceive, it's whenever you're having to go through infertility treatments and you see how everything has to be exactly perfect. When they say you only have 5 million sperm, we don't have, a, we don't have good hope, high hopes for this. It's like 5 million, really? <laughs> right. It, but God has, and that's why it's all, God is the creator and he is the sustainer. He's the one, every baby in the world, whether it was an accident or whether it was planned for 20 years. Every baby is a miracle. Every conception is a miracle because the factors that have to be perfectly aligned for that conception to happen, it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah, he's, he's the creator and he's the sustainer Mm -hmm. and it makes you appreciate all that, all that so much more when you walk through this, this life that we all have lived. Yes. And to think too, one of the pieces of God's character is knowing uh, his love 
for us and understanding that he knows more than I know. Mm-hmm. And we can say that he knows more than I do. Of course he knows more than you do, Becca. He's God and you're not. But when I want something and it doesn't matter if it's a baby or if it's a, a, a hamburger, you know, and a, a, a house or a car or a, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, right. he knows exactly what's best for me. And that the importance of whatever that is that I'm wanting um, doesn't matter so much as it's God who knows what's best for me. And mm-hmm. so I think with that anger and that bitterness, uh, being honest and real about it is the first thing that we absolutely have to do and mm-hmm. being real that we're angry and recognizing that we're angry or recognizing that we're bitter. But uh, again, holding that up to God's character and knowing, okay, so he loves me. And because he loves me, he's given me everything that I need to endure this well and to suffer well, but also he knows what's best for me. And I, I'm going to trust that he knows what's best for me, no matter what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some of the women listening right now could have faced some pretty fresh news, maybe of a miscarriage or even a failed treatment. Mm. What would you say to them in that moment as they hear that news? Mm. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I would say, um, you know, it depends. That's always a tricky question to me because it depends on who I'm talking to. Right. Um, and I think that's something we need to be really careful of is not to say the same thing to everyone who's suffering. Um, and I think what's most important is to listen when people are suffering and to mm-hmm. listen to um, those around you. But if they are wanting to hear something and they are listening to this, um, I would tell them that they're not alone. Jesus is for them and he's with them. And uh, grief can be traumatic and it can be confusing and it can be complex and unpredictable. Um, but the grief before the Lord and, um, that worshiping in the middle of grief is possible. Um, you know, I think of the Psalmist and how he pours his heart out before God and calls God his refuge. And even I think of Job, this Job 13. He says, though he, he slays me, yet I will trust him. Um, the Lord is trustworthy, and it takes time to work that out. So I think it's important that in the midst of um, suffering through infertility or suffering through miscarriage, um, to sit before the Lord and to be honest. Uh, and then once you're honest as the sufferer, to listen to what, what he has to say through you through his, through his word. Mm-hmm think um the psalms are great for that um, the psalmist does a good job of being honest before the lord being clear um for with how he thinks and what he needs and what he wants and then he turns it back to worship the lord um with his character and he brings it back to his character every time so it's a good template of suffering in the psalms yeah mm-hmm. Teaches us how to lament. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think too, it's important. That, you know, there's a balance to to grief, and I think that's one of the the God honoring um, 
ways we can be in the midst of our grief is to be balanced. Um, and what I mean is uh, grieving where it, grief is uh, necessary and where it, it should be. You know, to loss of life is worth grieving over, and it doesn't matter if it, you know, it's a, a two-day, uh, two-year, two-day-old fetus or a 16-month-old baby. Those are two very different experiences, but but the the value of life is the same. And so mm-hmm. we have to grieve well, and we grieve appropriately, if you will, um, but also trust the Lord, which brings that balance. Um, so I think there, there is a, there's an appropriate balance there of continuing to grieve, but we grieve with hope, and that with hope brings um, the sober-mindedness that we need to, to get up every day and continue on. So, yeah. So if there's somebody listening that they've, they've tried to grieve appropriately, they've tried to have that balance and that trust, but they just feel like they're stuck in that grief and they can't seem to get past it and they can't seem to not really move on, but just kind of move forward. Um, what would you say are some practical things that they could do to help? Yeah. You know, I think the number one thing to do. So this is going to sound simple, but Number one, we have to ask the Lord for help. He wants us to be well and do well and glorify Him more than we do ourselves. So simply asking the Lord for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that sounds easy and simple, and it really is. That's the whole point is that it's easy and simple. And He does want, you can know the Lord wants to help you. Uh, number two is find community to help. Uh, your, maybe it's your small group, maybe it's your group of friends. Uh, being honest with people in your church, uh, telling a pastor or your the women's leader at your church, uh, let people know that you're struggling. Let people know that you need help and that you're feeling this way and giving them the uh, latitude to speak truth into your life. You need truth. Mm-hmm. And then third, I would say getting as particular as you can about what you're angry about or what you're bitter about or what you're sad about. Now that, that might sound uh, silly, but the truth is that we're, we can all be angry over miscarriages, but we're going to be angry over different things. And how I experience this is different than how you experience it. So if I'm angry about not uh, getting the news that I want, why am I angry about that? What particular, uh, what do I think that that particular answer is going to give me? If I got what I wanted, what would it be giving me? And what parts of that am I angry over? So getting as particular as you can about here is why I want this so badly, or here is what I'm missing, or here's what I'm longing for and getting to the nitty gritty parts of that and and bringing that before the Lord and being honest about uh, what I think a pregnancy is going to add to my life or what I think children are going to add to my life. And some of those things are going to be very valid. and and again, worth grieving over. And then there are going to be parts of that that are sinful, and we're going to have to confess and uh, repent over those things. And, and of course, there's no formula there, but it's if I can get more particular about what I'm really angry about and what I'm really bitter about, then I can confess those things in particular. And I can mean confess them for help uh, and things that are, are right to want, 
and then um, confess them in a way that I need to repent. And when I repent in specifics, then I can change in specifics. If I don't really know, I, I can't uh, change in generalities, but I can change in specifics. And so if I can mm-hmm. figure out what particularly that I need to, um, if it's something sinful, repent over, then I can change in those particular ways. And so those three things are really, really important. And of course, lastly, is to find a biblical counselor, uh, find someone that can walk through this with you. That's going to point you to Jesus. I have, um, read a lot of bad material over suffering and grief. Um, and then there's, there's good material over suffering and grief. So not all mm-hmm. councils created equal for sure. So making sure you, you have someone that is going to speak truth, uh, from God's word that is going to be helpful and, um, that is a, an important place on gospel taboo. We will be opening it up for uh, counseling soon. So we're hoping to have oh, wow. um, biblical counseling available there. And then we will have, um, I've written a small mini book, if you will, on miscarriage. And so that should be available in the next six months, Lord willing, uh, on gospel taboo. It's got to be the most thorough thing available there, from what, what I was able to read through. There's not a whole lot available. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you cover in there how to, how to, how do you biblically view that loss? Um, what happens? Yes. And then, so it, it's just really good. Oh, good. <laughs> really good. Well, I want to clarify two, well, not clarify, dig a little deeper in two things, and then I will let you leave because <laughs> we could talk forever about this. But number one, or number, I guess, number two on your list, you said, tell someone or tell people that you're struggling. I hear two things from people a lot when they reach out. And that's number one, no one that I know is going through this or has gone through this. So how can they help me? And then the second thing is I'm private. I don't really want to share my, what's going on in my life. And I, don't really, basically, I'm just, I'm just not ready. So what would you, how would you work through that? So the first one, say the first one again. That no one, no one I know, like my pastor, they have seven kids, you know, my women's leader, you know, she's, she's single, she doesn't have kids, whatever it is. Um, they, they don't feel like that anyone in their circle relates to what they're going through. Yeah. I would say that could possibly be true. It's rarely true, but People have parts of their story that you won't ever know. And so I would Mm -hmm. not, I would encourage listeners not to assume that people don't understand what you're going through. But also I would say it is mostly, uh, it's nice when someone identifies with what you're going through some of the time, but it's just not necessary. Uh, Jesus knows Mm -hmm. exactly what you're going through. Uh, He knows exactly the depths of the grief that you're experiencing. He knows what happened in your womb. He knows what happened. Uh, he knows what the doctor said to you. He knows how you looked at your husband. He knows, he knows more about what's going on in your heart than you do. And that's mm-hmm. the most comforting thing that anyone can give you. And so if you can't let pastors or women um, remind you of that, then you're going to be in trouble because they're never going to, even if they've, even if you and I have had very similar stories, we're, we're too, God is an infinite creator. And so he's created us in vastly different ways. So we're going to experience the same thing in different ways. 
So even if we have a similar story, you're not going to understand uh, me. <laughs> and I'm not going to understand you the same way that Jesus can. Yeah. We can try and we absolutely should. We should try to understand. We should try to listen. And you want to seek to know another person as much as possible, but you're never going to understand the way Jesus understands. So it encourages mm-hmm. them. People have parts of their story that you're not going to know about. So don't assume that they don't have something to give you, even if they haven't experienced miscarriage. But also the Lord, uh, the Lord knows, and he's the one that people should be pointing you to. Um, and, you know, people, people say terrible things to you when you've, I mean, I, I heard all kinds of things and a lot of them were really insulting, but <laughs> the people saying them don't necessarily mean to be insulting. And so it's really an opportunity to grow in grace in the midst of your suffering. It's one way to minister and serve other people uh, to be gracious to them as they say foolish things to you. And uh, that mm-hmm. is part of the Lord's sanctification for us as we suffer through this and um, to love other people well when they're not loving you well. That's a long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> and then for those that say, I'm, I'm just too private. I don't want to talk about it, but yet I'm stuck. <laughs> right. I, you know, I, I understand that. Um, and I, there's parts of that that are okay. And there's parts of that, that, that might not be okay. I would want to ask, why are you private? Like, what's your goal in being private? Um, what, what are you trying to accomplish by being private? Um, and some of that will be okay. And then some of that may not be okay. And, uh, also too, I think, you know, in our, our first miscarriage was so awkward because no one knew we were pregnant and everybody waits. They want to wait until, you know, they're safe and they can tell people. But what I found was that second baby that uh, we also miscarried, I cherished that baby's life more. And I'm not that saying more is the right way to say it, but I understood better what that life was worth. And so I wanted to tell people so that if I did, if the baby did die, then they could grieve with me because the first time I had to be like, yeah, I was pregnant and now I'm not pregnant. And this is weird for you. And I mean, it was going to be weird anyway, but now I've just made it way like, it's just harder altogether. The second baby, I wanted to tell everybody Mm -hmm. because if I did end up losing that baby, then I wanted to make sure that people knew this was a life worth grieving over. And so it changed kind of how I thought about that because I wanted this baby to be celebrated, that life is worth celebrating. Um, whether it's again, two mm-hmm. days or, you know, 18 months, that, that's a life that God created the person. So I, I, it's okay to be private. And, and there is, uh, there is wisdom and not sharing everything as we do these days on the internet, but there's also a bound, there's a balance in, uh, wisely sharing with other people so that they might walk with you so that they might care with you. And that's how God created us to be in the yeah. body is to care for one another. So I would say, don't shortchange the body from caring for you the way God created us to do. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yep. And then the final clarification or I guess help. Um, I feel like finding a count, finding a biblical counselor seems so simple, but then if you take that step, it's very daunting you get a list of counselors or you Google Christian counselors on Google and about, you know, however many names pop up, how on earth, because I've heard horror stories of, 
yeah, I met with this person and they didn't help me at all. It was terrible. So I'm never going to counseling again. What are some maybe barometers or some questions that you could ask or directions you could give the listeners on how to find a good counselor? That's such a good question. I don't know that. I I don't I don't have a real best answer for that. I think uh, and I you're know. a counselor. I, How can we find you? How could someone find you? You can't. Right now, people can come to Gospel Taboo and message me and ask for. <laughs> I have I have counseling slots open, so um, I do have some availability and building a wait list for counseling. But I would also say that counselors are people too, uh, so right. they can have all the. With yes, different personalities. and they can have the best certifications in the world and still not be a great counselor. Uh, and mm-hmm. I may not be a great counselor for someone very particular. I, mean, I love being able to send people to the right place. Sending people to the right person in the right place is always wonderful. But you're just not going to... Sometimes you have to go through the experience of having bad counseling before you can get good counseling. Uh, but, <laughs> and maybe I already said this, just because they have all the certifications does not mean they're going to be a great right. counselor. Uh, and honestly, just because they have all this experience doesn't mean they're going to be a great counselor. So I would say don't let other fallen people scare you away from getting help. Um, just be willing to go until you find the right person. <laughs> so I go first session, not click, didn't help, didn't feel like it helped. Should I, how many times should I give it before I say, okay, I need to move on oh, to the That's next a good one. question too. I would say go two to three times. Don't just go one time, go two or three times. Um, okay. That's yeah. helpful. And, and be honest with the counselor. Um, I don't want somebody to spend time counseling with me if they are, if they have reservations about it, because it's just, it's not going to be helpful. And I would rather connect them with someone that is going to be more equipped or better, you know, better able to help them. Um, people who are doing biblical counseling, really want to help people. Uh, We Mm want to work ourselves out of a job. This isn't a a Mm -hmm. therapy session that we're trying to get money from. This is a, we want you to get the help you need and to, to live better and be discipled and to grow and change and get the help you need um, to be able to help other people. So most biblical counselors are going to be willing to help you find the right, the right fit. Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's super helpful and just gives some practical ways to take that step because I, I, it just seems very daunting to a lot of people whenever they're advised that like, okay, now what? So I think that's, that's just some good practical tips on how to do that. Yep. Well, Becca, thank you so much for coming on. My aunt was at a conference that you spoke at in Florida, um, probably what, six or seven months ago, maybe. And she was texting me while you were speaking and said, You've, go look this girl up. You've got to have her on. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so thank you for taking some time out and coming on and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. You guys, I got so much out of that conversation. Just walking through miscarriage with so many women around me, it was helpful to hear how differently everyone grieves. And it just confirmed to me, just because I don't grieve how someone else grieves or they don't grieve how I grieve, it doesn't make it wrong. God created us all so uniquely. And I love how she encouraged us not to shortchange the church, the body of Christ where God has placed us in taking care of us the way he intended the church to take care of its people. 
and then her tips on finding a counselor, I felt like were so freeing. Pursuing a counselor isn't a marriage that you're about to commit to. It is okay to date our counselors, and you know what I mean. If we don't gel, it doesn't mean something is wrong with us or wrong with them. It just means we haven't found the right fit yet. I thought that was really good advice. I could talk about this episode so much more, but I'm going to stop so I can talk to you about how you guys can continue to talk about it, and that's podcast clubs. So here's how this is going to work. When the episodes are released every other Tuesday, barring no more flu, if you have signed up to lead a podcast club online, you're going to receive an email that same day the podcast drops with the questions for your group to discuss. If you haven't signed up to lead but want to, I want you to go online, do it right now, joininfertility.com and click podcast club in the top right and fill out the form. It is super easy. Literally, it's your name and your email address. Listen, so many of you have reached out saying that you're looking for a support group or you are looking for more community as you walk through your own journey with infertility. And I just want to encourage you, your answer may not be joining a group, but your answer may be in starting a group. If you're in need of community in your own journey, I can promise you there are people around you that you have no idea are looking for the exact same thing. Listen, you can do this and you never know what life change, what heart change or friendships are on the other side of your yes. I can't wait to hear your stories and how they connect with others and you begin to encourage each other along this road that was never meant to be traveled alone. And when that happens, you better tell me all about it. I can't wait to hear the stories. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and He is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.